Check out the latest from the WYXR Podcast Network. Just Bluffin' is a Memphis-centric podcast from Campfire Collective, featuring interviews with Memphis community leaders and more. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Today's episode features a pre-recorded conversation from a live event, Celebrate What's Right, Culture City USA Happy Hour. This event was made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee and First Horizon. Before we get going, be sure to visit newmemphis.org events for information about upcoming events and programs like this, including the New Memphis Leadership Summit, which is coming up on August 11th. Today's conversation shines a light on some of the ways that Memphis creatives have historically and continually shaped global culture, the ways that Memphis shapes and informs art, and how all this reflects back on this special city. Today's moderator is the CEO and founder of Udall, new Memphis board member, and Memphian by choice, Kanji Anthony. Cheers! Thanks, Rebecca. Memphian by choice, yes. And um, I just couldn't think of a better time for us to just take a moment and be in a space where we're vibrating what's the best about this town that we live in, that we call home. So I'm so excited. We're going to have a very unique experience today. So uh, we're going to have what's called a relay-style interview session. That means that each one of the speakers will have the opportunity to interview and be interviewed. That's what's so unique about this. Tonight, in the name of celebrating our city, we ask you to join us. I hope you have your cocktails. Raise a glass to some of our city's most noteworthy cultural ambassadors. Cheers, everybody, cheers. Yes. (laughs) All right. So this is going to be energizing and exciting. So for our first conversation, I would like to welcome Pat Mitchell Worley and David Quarles to the stage. Yes. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Pat Mitchell Worley is the CEO of the Soulsville Foundation. Yes, which operates the Stax Museum of American Soul Music, Stax Music Academy, and the Soulsville Charter School all at the original site of Stax Records in the Memphis community known as Soulsville, USA. Pat has been the co-host of Beale Street Caravan for almost 20 years. Were you a child when you started? She can be heard narrating selections in the B.B. King Museum, Cotton Museum, Mississippi River Museum, and in numerous documentaries on Memphis history and music. And then the David Quarles IV. Yes, I have to say that when I say the fourth, the fourth is a Memphis-based interior designer, jewelry designer, content creator, and fitness instructor. The true definition of multi-hyphenate creative. (laughs) Well, his philosophy on life stems from doing and creating all things from a place of love. David comes from African-American, Afro-Caribbean, European, and indigenous American descent of a vibrant cultural background. (laughs) Yes that influences his work 
and movement in this world. Let's watch this interview. Okay, so I'm gonna start out. I think I've had a fangirl moment with everybody who's on the panel this, uh, this afternoon. And I have to say that I remember the first time I saw you, the first time. <laughs> yes, and I thought, Oh my goodness, that is the coolest looking guy I've ever seen. Does he live here? Where can I find him? Where is he hanging out? Because I want to be in those places. So the more that I found out about you and um, your work, your sense of style, all of it, it was so much bigger than just, I'm an artiste. It was intentional. And so in starting with that, I am afraid we won't get through all the questions that we have. So I want to start with the questions that I wanted to know the most. <laughs> so first of all, we both have this love of music. And so you use music, it's very inspirational you in creating your art, but it's, it's not just like you go, oh yeah, I listened to this song and then I created this thing. Can you talk a little bit about how music influences you Okay, yeah. Um, so I like to create from music as in a sense of, so it's something that I noticed early on that I respond to numbers and music and color. And so basically whenever someone will shout out a color to me or if I'm hearing like a musical note, then it is, it's translated in my brain as a color. So it is a reaction of synesthesia, but specifically chromesthesia when it has to do with music. And so for like fast forwarding, my clients who may not necessarily know exactly what they want, they know how they want a space to look. Of course, we all know that we want it to look pretty, but I go far into how do they want it to feel. And so we all have a song that we can think about of how we want our space to feel. Um, whether it is during what golden hour, which is like basically now or in the morning when you're taking in your tea or your, ooh, they wanted me to shut up. No, uh, or you're taking in your coffee and how that moment feels. I take that song and translate it into what colors I experience when I listen to it and then I will give that back to the client as like is this what you're trying to interpret so whether it's the just not the colors but also the textures of the fabrics that are used and the wood tones that are used that's how I create from music basically and so then that way it is a space that not only looks how they want it to but it feels like their life so I guess all of us should be thinking about our songs and what colors they make us make us feel. Never, I've never put that together. I, yeah, of course you're on the front row going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so beyond that, you talk a little bit about you know working with others, but when you look at when you look at your art as a whole, are there particular stories that you'd like to tell? Ooh, a lot of the stories that I like to tell, I think if it's going to be just for art for me to appreciate, but then too for clients, period, is who the person is, whether it's culturally, what you want to communicate to others when they come into your house, or if it's going to be a business as well. It's about the person. So it for me, I will say this, I base a lot of my artwork or creations, period, whether it's for jewelry and the relationship that I have with um, the moon and my mom because it's like our favorite thing that we have in common and uh, just I love the meeting between water and sky so that's where I find most of my inspiration because it is two or the clashing of two worlds of infinite 
like beginnings and so we don't know everything that's in the sea but we don't know everything that's in the heavens either and so i like to imagine what's there and whatever colors or whatever beings may be um and so yeah i just i a lot of imagination and what my ancestors might have experienced if they had my imagination as well so do you use that to like revive yourself is that when you're when the pot is empty and you're trying to figure out how to you know how to regroup and revive, is it those same, those same things that you go to? Yeah, so one thing that I use as, and I'd say this and hopefully people um, get the reference, but my trips to the Caribbean or like specifically Puerto Rico, or if I'm going to just going to be by water, then it is my coffee bean to fragrance shopping. So you know how they give you coffee beans and you're like, okay, I'm refreshed. So whenever I get a chance to go to the water, is where I feel the most inspired. And I will go snorkeling, I'll go scuba diving as far as, you know, like, oh my God, I forgot my equipment, but it's what I'm seeing in the water that I will instantly pop up and I'm like, oh shoot, that's the inspiration that I needed. So whenever I can connect with nature, specifically water though, and if there is a full moon and I'm observing water at the same time, good Lord. Um, so it's, it's like a thing that energizes me because I use the, the moon as well to gauge my bit of successes and learnings. So the moon cycle is kind of my calendar in a way. So I don't use the normal calendar. I, well, I do because we have dates that we have to adhere by. But for me personally, my creation, I use the moon as, as my guide. Um, earlier is, is um, the introduction to Kanji and the Minthian by choice. You know, as an artist, you have clients everywhere. You don't have to choose to be in Memphis. You could be wherever you wanted. You could live right on the beach and see this, you know, the moon every night. What has kept you in Memphis? I don't feel that Memphis is done with me yet. Um, I just don't feel it. So I spent a lot of time being like the shy, creative, and uh, there were some things that like I didn't get a chance to start my interior design journey for an unfortunate event, um, just because of a recommendation that wasn't given, but it's fine because of course it gave me time to grow as a person who I am and the things that I can take now. Um, and so I feel that I also need to be there for the kids who look like me to be the example that I wanted in school. And so I'm not finished until I've had all of those opportunities and still not then. Um, I could leave if I wanted to, but yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to. And there's so much more light that the city needs that I hope that I can be part of spreading. Did that motivate you guys? Okay, I'm trying to stay within our eight minutes. Are we within our, is our time up? There's, um, there's, yeah, we're switching. We're switching now. <laughs> Switch up. So, yes. Oh, wait, let me leave the mic. Pat will be back. So don't you worry, Pat will be back. That is, this is what the relay is. So I can't wait to see more of this one. Uh, but I would like to now introduce and welcome Tara M. Stringfellow to the stage. <laughs> Poet, former attorney, Northwestern University BA and MFA grad and semi-finalist for the Fulbright. Fellowship, Tara M. Stringfellow has written for Collective Unrest, Minerva Rising, Jet Fuel Review, 
Women Arts Quarterly Journal, and Apogee Journal, among other publications. After having lived in Okinawa, Ghana, Chicago, Cuba, Spain, Italy, and Washington, D.C. She moved back home to Memphis, brought her brain trust back, and she now sits on her porch swing every evening with her hound, Huckleberry, listening to records and chatting with neighbors. I'd like to turn it over to you, Mr. Quarles. Oh, my goodness. So now I do the interviewing. So first, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm tired. Okay. I'm gonna be honest. I'm real tired. This is the last event of my book tour, my paperback book tour. I've been on the road since early March. I'm tired. I have a book, a book deadline. I'm writing a poetry book, and it's due to my editor June 12th, and then that's a Monday. On Wednesday, I fly to Italy for the summer where I write, where I'm going to finish the second novel. So I'm going to write two books in the span of about three months. I'm tired. My, my, my dryer stopped working. My microwave stopped working. I have no ability to heat up food or my clothes. I don't know. My dog is sick. I know. It's a lot. And then I have... I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't even go get my nails done today. I was just like, no, I'm going to have coffee and a cigarette. I'm going to watch CNN. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what's happening in this world. And I'm going to just sit on my couch. So I'm tired. But I'm here. I'm here with y'all tonight. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I can't help you solve all of those, but you know what, at I least know. it's oh summertime and you can like it's hang summer. your clothes out. You can hang your clothes outside and they can drive with the wind. I'm going to, I'm going to put up a line. Yeah, there I'm going to, go. I'm going to tap into my grandma and just put up a line in the That's backyard and, and just hope it doesn't rain like that on it and just, <laughs> yeah. right? Next time. No, mm -hmm. that's one problem potentially solved. But let me see, and I love the way that these are worded. So we're going to jump right into the okay. questions after that because I love that. But <laughs> when designing a world within a book that is actually a real city, how do you translate our city to the reader? I don't, I don't think I do translate Memphis to the reader. I just put Memphis on the page, and folk can figure it out. You know, I don't, I don't believe in explaining blackness. Uh, I don't believe in explaining uh, black joy here in the city. I tell folk to come and see it, or not, or don't. Actually, I tell them don't, because I don't like tourists. Like, I think, I don't, I don't like tourists. I don't like the tourists. When they all come, like Elvis Day or whatever, I'm like, I'm staying at home and ordering, um, ordering oxtail. Like, I'm not going out that day. But I don't think that we need to explain how great and how beautiful we are. We are an American city. We are a black city. We are an ancient city. We are named after an ancient place in Egypt and Africa. We are a city on a river. We are a city on the mightiest river there is in this country. Langston Hughes wrote poems about this place. Mark Twain wrote novels about this place. I don't need to explain this city to anybody. And this city, I, I, always, I get real offended when I go to the Yankee places with the Yanks. <laughs> up north, and they say, oh, you put Memphis on the map. I, I, I will, I will s just, I want to backhand, but I can't. But I want to, because I know damn well that Memphis put me on the map, not the other way around. 
It is because of y'all that my novel is a national bestseller. It was the most sold book in the city of Memphis last year. I beat out Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That's because of y'all. That's because of black women. <laughs> you know, so thank y'all. So no, so I don't, I don't think I need to translate Memphis. Folk can get it or not. Like it's not, mm -mm, it's, a way, it's a vibe. Memphis is a whole vibe, as you know. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> And so, you know what, I think I need to speed past that other question because, ooh. Um, okay. But, 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 I do love this, that can you talk about the safe spaces within your novel? Um, speaking of, like, from the beauty salon to the yeah. corner store and why it's important to represent those spaces, especially since you represent them, you don't have to explain them, but you can tell the story of them. How is that? I feel as if maybe church and a beauty shop are the most sacred black places on earth. I feel as if those are the spaces that black women can really be, our, or a barber shop. I'm not really allowed in those. I wanna go, I get, sometimes I'll walk in, I'm like, no, it's too, too many men, and they're so good looking. I don't know a, 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 a not good looking black barber in this city. They all look so fine. I'm like, I don't have any reason to be in here. I'm just gonna leave, I, I blush. I blush, but it's like a sacred space for black men to be themselves, to talk about us women, to talk about their lives, their careers, their everything. And it's the same for us black women in these beauty salons. Like it's, we, you know, Lyric did my hair on Saturday. I had the time of my life, she was drunk uh, doing the hair. Like, and she told me, she's like, girl, and I'm like, you know what, just what up? What do you want to do? She's like, let's just go blonde. I said, you know what, Lyric, this is a drunken, you know, creation of a beautiful black woman in the city. And I wear it proudly, <laughs> and I'll wear it until I see her again, you know, on Saturday. Like, it's, it's so refreshing for me to live among my people. I feel as if I'm living in Ghana or Cuba. I really do. It's so, I feel safe, even though this city is very violent. I do feel safe because I'm around my peoples. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I should be more aware, but I feel so beautiful and black in this city. I don't know how I could live anywhere else, truly. No, I love that, and so that kind of goes to another question that we have, but we will see. No, but, and then just delving off a little bit more into who you are, as how does your background as a lawyer and a poet influence your storytelling? I mean, law school, I went to law school because I wrote a book of poetry in college um, and it didn't sell, you know, only my family bought it. And I really like expensive shoes and eating, like, yeah. And so I said, well, let me go be an attorney because they'll pay you to write. And it was hell, it was horrible. I don't know why I did that. And I had like expensive shoes and I had some food, but I was, I was, I was, Oh, I wasn't living. I wasn't doing what I loved. I wasn't writing sonnets every day. I wasn't writing poetry. I wasn't writing stories. And so I left all of that in a husband in Chicago and I moved into a one bedroom. It was filled with uh, mice. And I wrote y'all Memphis. I became utterly, objectively poor. I was a teacher at White Station for years teaching y'all's bad children. <laughs> Uh-huh, just bad, just four. Y'all need, I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm not a parent, so maybe I shouldn't criticize, but I've taught your kids and something's not right in this country. But that's fine, I did the best I could. We had fun. 
Um, and I'd save up my pennies all year. I wouldn't go nowhere. I was so broke. And I'd save up my pennies all year, and I would go to Cuba, or I'd go to Italy, and I'd write the book for y'all. Um, and I tried to make it the most beautiful book I could, that, that has ever been published. There hasn't been a book about four, or maybe four, three, four main characters that are all black women and all set in the South since uh, The Color Purple, and that was published in 1971. And so I wanted to write y'all, I felt like we had been through so much, and black women deserved a bit of joy, and that's it. And it was just uh, a thank you to the city who raised me. Um, that's about it. No, I love it. Well, I, I mean, give a round of applause again. I love it. Thank you. And so, yeah, we're about to switch roles, and so you become the interviewer. And the, re the relay continues. Isn't this cool to see these creatives vibe together? The format is so amazing. Thank you, David Quarles LaFold. Okay, now. David, thank you. <laughs> it is, and you, your candor is just so refreshing. I just love it's like, say what you're going to say, say it. Okay, so it is now my great pleasure to welcome Aso Tolson to the stage. Aso is a Memphis-based multidisciplinary artist with a passion for design, strategy, hand lettering, and branding. Through his work, Aso seeks to empower and celebrate individuals and communities using his skills to create projects based on inspiration and joy. His clients, everybody, Coca-Cola, Best Buy, we Transfer, Teach for America, and social activist comedian Francesca Ramsey, Aso Tolson, everybody. <laughs> Tara, the stage is yours. All right. Aso, I want to ask you, it says here, like me, you understand that words and language have power. But I specifically want to know, how is the message of rest? as a black male southerner, a political statement. Could you speak to that? Oh, I mean, I'm gonna try to give the short version of that. Um, one, because historically, black people haven't been able to rest in so many different ways, right? Um, let's talk about um, working and then the idea of like, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, all, all the things, right? So a black person in general, like, resting seems like oh ain't you supposed to be doing something you like you like like there's this is something to do or because of how society is this capitalist world it's like oh well um if you ain't working you know that just means poverty you know but even though there's people who are like hard working got three jobs who still can't like make rent like so it's like why rest so the idea of rest is like not only anti those things but it's like I need that. Right. I need it for me yeah. so that I can live. My being is more than work. So like, it's a testament to like, my life has value. I need this for me. And then once I'm good, then I can be at 100% and then the overflow can go to what else needs to be handled. But if I'm not good, I ain't gonna be good for nobody else. Okay. So literally that's the short version. Yes, that's beautiful. Of that. That's beautiful. Can you type that in an email? I have to send it to my agent. <laughs> she won't leave me alone right now. Jesus Lord. Our city's anthem 
is a uh, grit and grind. Mm-hmm. But you're flipping that on its head with your chill mode project. Yes. You even spoke about less grind, more chill on your TED Talk for Memphis. Mm-hmm. Do you think both mindsets have a place here in the city? I, I think it has to. Um, I think, um, oh, the short version. All right. Um, this city uh, has to grind, right, for so many reasons, right? I think because of how um, uh, powers to be in the way that it's set up, like you have to grind, right? And you have to work sometimes two, sometimes three jobs, right? And for the ends to meet. Um, but like I just shared, like I really feel like you have to take care of you um, because if you don't take care of you, like your body gonna tell you, right? It's like, hey, uh, sat down, you know? And we can't afford for a whole lot of people to be like messed up because of not taking care of themselves, even though we profit off of it. So anyway, that's all. I'm trying to give the short version. No, give them the long. I, if we had time. You know, I, but I will say this. Slavery, it, 400 years. It like, uh, I'm long. trying, look, okay. In short, it has to happen here. Um, and I love what you said about this being an all-American city, right? Um, I think the things that uh, the world loves about America lives here, you know, the culture, the food, you know, the music and so on, but also some of the most terrible things that have happened in, you know, the United States have happened here, you know, inequality, racism, you know, all the things, auction and exchange is like right down the street. So, I mean, like, um, because of Memphis being a place of so much duality, like why not grind with rest, right? Um, yeah, I'll just say that. I love that, yeah. grind with rest. I love that, I love that. All right, I'm gonna switch from okay. being like so black and so militant, <laughs> like we have been, just a little bit. I wanna, I just wanna be black and beautiful for a second, just a second, we'll go back to being okay, angry. beauty, beauty. Um, I hear that we both love, and I know David does, we all love gardening. We are all three gardeners. We're into love plants. It. We love talk it. to them. I have a Venus flytrap. Just, just What? I, I, don't, I, got it from, I got it from Walmart. Walmart. Walmart? The Walmart in Raleigh. I oh, swear see, to God, I don't go they to that swear one. I really Venus flytraps at that Walmart. Okay, I'm going to try that. Anyway, can you talk a bit more okay. <laughs> about how that no shade. No shade. Don't go your there. Work is an I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Can you talk a bit more about how plants, you know, influence your work? <laughs> okay. So, so plants. So I started being um, a collector or a plant zaddy. Um, <laughs> um, back in 2017. Okay. Um, so before the craze. Before the craze. Um, 2016. Um, but when we were all indoors in 2020, um, you know, I needed some more like life indoors with me. And so I, I started, you know, getting a lot of plants. And um, one of the, the lessons that I got is I had a, um, a fiddle leaf and I bought two of them and I put them in places that looked nice, right? And so they were, they were cool for like two weeks and then shortly they just started like, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and then one of them just died. Right, and right. I'm like, man, what did I do? Like, these other ones are doing great. What's up with this little temperamental? 
But I was like, okay, well, let me see what I need to do. So I changed it, and I was like, okay, no, it's, it's, it's dead. The other one was on its way out. So I was like, so what does it need? It, I'm giving it water. I'm like, it's some light in here. What does it need? So I was like, what if I moved it? You to, moved it so to, I moved it, and I yeah. moved it to where there was more light. It right. wasn't. It didn't look as nice over there, but I was like, it probably needs but more light. Living. Yeah, it was it living. It wasn't dying. And so. then it perked up, and then a new leaf came, and then like right. it, it, I still got it in this time. Photosynthesis. Tall. It's a the, real. The thing that I learned was sometimes we put things in situations that look good, but it oh, ain't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Look. It looked good, but it was dying. It was killing it, right? But I had to take care of what, I had to give it what it needed, right? So I put it to where it was, and Listen, literally it grew. So You took us all to church. This it, Memphis, we went to church tonight. We going to go no, to church no, I mean, any kind of way. But it's, this is amazing. It's, it's literally one of the things that a plant taught me, in short. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank this you. was amazing. Yes. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, yes, yes. Thank, you. Thank you, Tara. I didn't know I'd have to take notes for my life tonight, but it happened. Okay. That was fun. And now, let's welcome... Kevin Thomas to the stage. <laughs> Kevin is the founding artistic director of Collage Dance Collective, one of the largest black-led performing arts organizations in the South, and one of just a few professional ballet companies in the world with a roster of BIPOC dancers. He also heads up the organization's conservatory, which trains more than 800 students per week at the Collage Dance Center. It's like Memphis City Schools. In a, you know. And through Turning Point, Collage's in-school dance education program, Kevin started his career as a professional dancer, worked with internationally renowned companies like Dance Theater of Harlem, the Royal Ballet in London, as well as appearing in Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. Oh my goodness. Kevin has also choreographed and taught at countless theaters and schools in Memphis and around the country. What an incredible roster here. All right, take it over. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Check, 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 check. There we go, there we go. You good? Okay, oh, Okay, there it is, it's on. It's good on. to see you, Ace. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, so, fun fact, the so the first couple of years that Collage was here in Memphis, I was doing all of their branding. So like those first couple of posters, first couple of, like I, I did those things. So it's, it's cool to be like full circle here. In this those were beautiful t-shirts, that branding, Thank that you. whole look of all the dancers together. Yes, yes, the collage, yes. a collage of dancers. I wanted to, to you feel, yeah, see, um, as far as like speaking of art and perspective and it being powerful, like dance, yes. like what attracted you to dance? Like why dance? Why ballet for you? 
I thought about this question. I was trying to figure out how do I answer this question in like only a few minutes. It's, it's a hard one. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Why ballet? Well, number one, just so you know, I was born in Trinidad and yes, <laughs> the West Indies. And my family immigrated to Canada, to Montreal, to Quebec. So while growing up in Montreal, you know, I had a hard time basically assimilating, communicating. It was difficult for me. I was always, you know, in a, let's say in a elementary school, there'd be one black child and that was me. So <laughs> I had that feeling of a hard time just communicating with people. One day I came home with a, a flyer about ballet, tap, and gymnastics, and my mother was like, that's where you're going. You're getting out of the house, you have to socialize, you have to do something. Mm -hmm. So I started going, and my teachers um, felt I had talent. And the reason is, is because ballet, or dance, should I say, you know, it's a way of communicating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like visual art, it's not only visual, mm -hmm. but it's also a way of communicating. And I was able to find my voice through dance, through ballet. You know, the oldest way of communicating, actually, before we can read and write, we don't want to go back there, but the oldest way is movement. Yeah. And the movement of communicating became dance. Yeah. So there is, when we're dancing, we are telling a story. It's like a picture paints a thousand words, just like in graphic arts. Yes. So that's what kept me going as a dancer. And then when I turned into a teacher, what I learned as a dancer you know, the, the discipline, the focus, the tenacity, the passion, learning how to take criticism at a young mm, age mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. very important to me. So teaching it to my kids, I can see like a plant, how they were growing, how leaves were shooting yeah. and they were progressing. So that was just fantastic for me to see this. And then as a choreographer, being able to tell stories through movement that language and being able to touch people in a way that they couldn't be touched before because ballet or dance I should say too is also you know you're marrying for the most part movement with music yeah. and when you put the two together as David knows it becomes something quite delicious yeah yes yeah so that's what brought me to it you know and funny enough and this is on the side you know my mother brought me well made me go to ballet, but was my father that took me to every class. Hey. And would, you know, tell me, you know, sit in class and tell me you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you know, you weren't paying attention, but yes, just for the fathers who support, you know, their sons, black yeah. fathers, mine was incredible. That's beautiful. Um, you, you are also, like me, a transplant. To Memphis. So I'm, I'm a transplant. I'm originally from East St. Louis, Illinois. Shout out to East St. Louis. Uh, what you know about it? What you know about it? What you know about it? Okay, we'll, like, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Um, but Memphis, like, what? What brought you? What brought you to Memphis? Like, like, why Memphis? Black and brown people. That's what brought me here. The culture, the history, the very, very rich history, is important to me because of the work I do. So. As you know, I grew up in Montreal. I got into Le Grand Ballet Canadian, which is one of the three major companies in Canada. And yes, I was the little black dot in the company. And <laughs> I was you know, always told that ballet was not for me. So I was always trying to assimilate, trying not to mm. be me, which 
four years, it became very depressing to a point where I wanted to quit dance. Mm. I, um, years later, got into Dance Theater of Harlem and um, saw a stage full of dancers of color. And I was like, my God, this is absolutely gorgeous. And this is ballet. This is classical. And after spending 10 years with Dance Theater of Harlem, mm -hmm. you know, it, it changed my thoughts on who I am as a person. It made me, how can I say, it healed my soul. I felt beautiful as a dark man of color. And I wanted that message to be echoed all over the United States and the whole world. So I thought, why should there only be one Dance Theater of Harlem? We need companies like yes. this. We need more representation of ourselves, beautiful representations of ourselves. And that's what ballet does, I feel. So that's what inspired us to come to Memphis. We had heard about, you know, what Memphis was up to, about the city, the culture, and everything. Yeah. We moved in 2007, my partner and I, Marcellus Harper, who is the executive director and incredible, incredible person. We wouldn't be where we are without him. Um, but we did two years of due diligence to see, to make sure that, you know, what we were bringing here, was it, was it really needed? And after two years, we realized, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and we opened our school with only one child in the basement of a church. And now, yes, we have 400 in the conservatory and we teach another 400 in the engagement programming. Yes. And even another story, too, one of the kids who began with me, well, that's several who have moved on, who are getting scholarships to prestigious colleges and dance institutions. One of them, wow. my precious little Amore Williams, who I met when she was four, just mm -hmm. now got offered a traineeship at Pittsburgh Ballet. So it's fantastic. Another, another student of mine is actually at full scholarship at the school I began at in Montreal. So it's incredible for me to see the work that is happening. Yes. I didn't think I was ever gonna be a teacher. I didn't want to, uh, uh, no. As Tara said, yes, woo, some of these kids, yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be a teacher, but it has been completely gratifying. It wow. really has been. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting about Memphis being this very special place. I think everybody, I know this is about Memphis, but like all the panelists have shared how there's an energy of Memphis. There's something very special in Memphis, and I think... Being a transplant, you're somehow able to see it with different eyes than the people who've been here. I respect the people who have been here who make the city what it is, the culture what it is, from dance to the food and everything. Um, but one of the things that I always felt like Memphis is just a place of just diamonds, right? But when you're so used to diamonds, it's like, oh, this is nothing special. You know, my, my cousin, you know, uh, wrote for so-and-so. You know, uh, we was in the studio with so-and-so, so it just seems regular, right? But when you go to other places, people are like, man, Memphis. And so I think, like, Memphis is a place of, like, pioneers in a very specific way. So, like, for... For you, what do you think about Memphis makes it a, a, a place for pioneers or these, these very incredible people? Well, I feel Memphis is, we're in like a, a renaissance, as we say in Montreal mm. in French, mm -hmm. right? We're growing, things are happening. So I feel I'm, I'm here at the right time. But there is, you know, there's this rich history 
and culture and incredible talent, you know, that I'm able to dig into. And then for me as an artist, a choreographer, I'll be honest, when I moved to Memphis, you know, leaving New York, you know, my friends told me, what are you doing, going to Memphis? Are you crazy? <laughs> and when I moved here, I felt like I was, like if I was moving home, mm. to be honest. And I came here, I was so relaxed, this was great. I felt like, you know, I had maybe lived here in the past life or something, but I felt very, very connected right away. Yeah. And for me as an artist, to so the work that I do as a creator who was trying to create more ballets, you know, about us, the South for me is the perfect spot to be planted because the stories are here, so. Yes. All right. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And that's our time. Y'all give it up for Kevin, y'all. Kevin. Thank you so much. And now we get a double dose of Pat Mitchell Worley, CEO of Soulsville Foundation, back here for our final interview. And then if you guys have any questions, um, I'm going to bring my mic around. We ha will have a mic for you. Good to see you, Pat. Hello again. Hello again. So another backstory, Pat and I go way back to from when I was um, working and teaching at New Ballet Ensemble. So um, again, this is like another full circle moment for me to be with people who are incredible. Yes? Thank you. How are you doing? I'm just not as funny as everybody else. <laughs> I mean, y'all have like brightened my day today. I've just like, I've heard so many truths, but they've been wrapped around these like moments where I just, I'm spilling over with humor. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for that. Thank you everyone, yes. Um, well, my question for you, because I was with you at New Ballet Ensemble, now you're at Stax, you know. What, what piece of advice would you impart to a newer organization like Collage from, you know, with such a long history that you guys have, you know, what, what could you let me know? that would help us young? You know, to be honest, some of that I'm still figuring out. Okay, yes. Because there are, I think for the Soulsville Foundation, there have been moments as I've gone back through the history of the organization that I'm just like, man, how did they survive? How did they make it through yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. You know, there were so many of those moments. I think that one of the big pieces is that everything that is done there is, is about community. Mm -hmm. There was so much that was sewn into um, young people. And all those things you're doing. <laughs> I mean, I think that that has... Um, that has allowed the organization to weather the storm. I mean, a lot of people know the history of Stax Records and the forced bankruptcy. And I love to say the word forced, because people are like, oh, no, 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 they closed. No, they had some help. Um, wow. And so it, it, there are just so many, so many lessons, but still uncovering them all. You know, since since I became CEO, there have been a number of things where I was like, 
oh, I didn't know that. Right. Or a story is told from an artist and like, I've never heard that before. So it is, um, it's really interesting just digging into it all. Right. But at the root, I would say community and really how you're going to impact the next generation. Well, I believe that that is very, yeah, that's, that is great advice. And that is definitely how we do operate, you know, community because, you know, we're building kids who get to meet other kids and they stay friends for a lifetime through the arts, you know? So thank you very much for enforcing what we're doing. Can you talk a bit about the relevance of soul music, history and present cultural landscape? Soul music, huh. There's this argument on whether we should specifically say soul music or uh -huh. if we should say R&B, the, uh -huh. bigger, the bigger piece of it, just because that is, there's so many connections there. I think that for me personally, being from Memphis, I was, um, I heard soul music all the time. I mean, all the time. I remember my mother playing Al Green. I remember my mother playing music from Stax. I remember all of this and I, but I was just like, I got to a certain point and I went, oh, that's my mama's. I need to find something on my own. What's mine? What is my uh, thing? And I explored so many types of music. I mean, I like just about any kind of music. Well, there's one particular I'm not a big fan of, but. Um, uh, you won't say. No. Yeah, I won't say. Uh, it's offensive to people. <laughs> So, you know, as I explored all these things, it was really interesting as a, as a teenager and I was listening to, I listened to a lot of heavy metal and I was like, huh, they were influenced by music that was right here in my, my hometown. They went all the way around to come back to here. I would listen to, you know, just about, just about everything and still there were relationships back to the music that's from this region. Absolutely. And so I think that the idea of soul is the most modern reflection of what, you know, what Memphis music feels like. like. And that is, you know, at the end of the day, there are all these um, definitions of what genre is it. Mm -hmm. But everything from Memphis, um, it, it has soul in it. And you can feel it. It's a, um, I mean, whether you're listening to, um, as my daughter and I were driving down the street last night with the windows down, saying, you know, love Taking the in the air. <laughs> love the streets. <laughs> you can feel it, though. And that is, I think, what a lot of people miss out on. They mm. try to make it just about the legacy, but. Mm -hmm. It's more than that. It's the evolution of that legacy. Why has that music been sampled so many the times? The essence, would you say? Why, <laughs> you yeah. know, why is it that people keep going back to these songs? Because they made you feel something. And in a world where it's so hard to authentically have feelings, everybody's trying to pull this feeling out of you. It's trying to make you do this. Oh, look, my scroll is full of kittens. You know, everybody's trying to get something out of you. And still to this day to hear music and, I, you know, really the arts 
for and the time to, to feel stop. something genuine yeah. is just like, it's still beautiful. So I think that Memphis in general, what we produce has soul. Amen to that, yeah. Amen, yes. We got soul. How can we as individuals here tonight embrace our cultural history while also stepping forward for change? How do they work together? Ooh. I know that. I looked at that question and I was like, ooh. Whoa. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, to be honest, it's really interesting in, because I'm 52, 52 years old. Yay for the Years 50s. young. Yes. Years young. And I remember at 25, the, the, the activist that was there, the, but I found, and my grandmother told me this story long ago. She talked about how the older you get in life, um, the harder it is to draw that activist out of you. And um, I, I, I understand that a, a little bit more now that I'm here. And so my biggest thing has been, okay, so what am I doing to support that, that generation who's out there doing the fight? And how am I supporting them, whether it's with connections, whether it's with knowledge, whether it's financial, whether it is, you know, what am I putting into all of that? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the things that I used to have this, I used to get so mad at people. And it's really, it's judgy McJudgy. But I was just like, there is so much needed in this city. How can that person go home every day and not volunteer for something? Right. How are they, like, not involved in something in Memphis? Do they not see what I'm seeing? Right. Are they just, you know, right. and, and I used to get so mad about it. Um, but now I'm just like, I, I see that the question is how we all find our own way to support somebody else. Um, there are some fights that I'm not as passionate about. Okay. You know, it's, it, it, it's just not something that I'm willing to take my earrings off for or anything, but there's some. <laughs> Roll up your sleeve. There's some. I had a conversation yesterday, and I, I, I think I scared the lady. But I'm, I, I think that finding, finding your, you know, what you really believe in, but wholeheartedly supporting somebody else as they go through and push through and try to figure out answers. Because let me tell you, I'm not going to be the one to cure cancer. Right. But I sure as hell can contribute to them doing it. Right. I'm not going to be the one who is going to figure out global warming. But I sure as hell can do something to contribute to right. it. So it, it also goes back to the, the problems of poverty in the city and all our conversations on, oh, let's talk about crime or, oh, let's talk about this. And then let's talk about this. But nobody wants to say poverty. Right. You know, so what, what are you doing to make it easier for somebody else, to make it their future brighter, to help them get past that moment to be um, the best that they can be, to be the best person. I remember that one of the reasons that I stayed in Memphis 
is because, and I had offers to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and there were a couple of record labels and, and all of that, and they were all like, oh yeah, leave. And I'm like, I'm gonna leave in Memphis for Cleveland. I'm sorry if you're from Cleveland. <laughs> I lived in Cleveland, by the way. I'm sorry, I just I'm there, sorry if you're from Cleveland. <laughs> but I was just like, I'm not leaving Memphis for that. And one of the things that, um, as Mr. Qual said, Memphis wasn't, Memphis wasn't done with me, but I also remember when I decided that I wanted to be here because I wanted other, I wanted other little kids that looked to me to know that they could be whatever they wanted to be. There was no limit. If they, right. you know, they could accomplish it. And so I didn't think that I was going to work with kids. Um, I like kids, though. <laughs> I like them. I mean, I got one. <laughs> but no, I love children. Um, I love teenagers and their, their, their fight and their sense of rebellion and how they want to figure it out and who they're going to be. And, um, and you're watching them evolve and you have to leave little nuggets along the way because you can't go straight forward at them, you know? Because <laughs> then they're gonna run the opposite direction. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta trick so, them and fool them. <laughs> I, wanted, I just wanted, I wanted kids to know that, that you don't have to be what somebody else tells you to be. You can be whatever your little heart, you know, dreams of. But show the support. I mean, yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy um, one of my favorite things to go to a museum. If you want to know where I'm going to be in the museum, I'm going to be looking at the battle armor. Oh my. It's my favorite thing in a museum. There's like an armory museum where you can look. It's nothing but hours of armory. It's beautiful. Um, you're, you're if you really, don't enjoy you're really it. Smiling, you're joining. You're like it's up really there. yeah. It's my as as my daughter says. I like to go to places. Do we have to go someplace where dead people are? I'm like yes, because I enjoy that. And it's okay. That's my weirdness. And be weird. Be whatever you want to be. And be okay. Yeah, and be okay with it. And stop. Um, I think one of the things at the Sax Music Academy is watching young creative kids find their way mm -hmm. and find those really strange things that they like and find somebody else who's like, oh, that's really weird. Tell me more about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think there is a freedom in that that I really want every, you know, the, the majority of our students at the Music Academy are African-American. I want little black kids to feel like, oh yeah, that's strange, but it's okay. tell me about it. Yeah. So that is the, the, for me, that was the moment where I said, I've got to stay here. Fantastic. I mean, what you're talking about again is what we started with is community, being that community for this culture. And also, if we want our community to be better, we've got to make it better. So we have to support each other. So that's beautiful, absolutely. Um, here's another one. Well, you talked about it a bit, but let's go back to it. You talked about music, how it has shaped you, but tell us again, how has music shaped how you are as an individual? And why is it so important to our city? So first, in full disclosure, I can play nothing. <laughs> Okay, I took piano lessons. I was horrible. She was happy when I quit. And so I'm like not musically inclined. I, um, I mean, I can't even like pat my head and rub my belly and do that whole thing. Can't do it. So I 
developed a great appreciation for people who can. And the better they are, the more I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. How do you do that? Um, just the ideas of, of the talent that is around us uh -huh. in the city. You know, every street in Memphis, I would bet, has somebody that plays an instrument. Mm -hmm. And that is, that sense of creativity, that sense of um, dedication to a craft, you know, is sort of beautiful. That's part of my relationship to music. The other piece is about how does it make you feel? What does it make you think? All those beautiful things that make up art. I think that um, I have, I say this all the time and I really, it, it really is one of those things that, you know, you have that little saying that you're like, I wholeheartedly 100% believe in this and I've not found anything to prove me wrong on it. And so I watch, I love to watch news shows and everything and watch the pundits talk to the pundits about the pundits and, and all that. And um, I always love when they start these conversations on the greatest threats to America. And so they <laughs> go into these- I plan on watch the news anymore, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I had to cut down for my, my well-being, but um, there are all these things that come up and I truly believe that the greatest threat to our country is lack of creativity uh -huh. and us not fostering creativity uh -huh. because, you know, Einstein was like, okay, yeah, it's theory of relativity. Yeah, I got it. But it wasn't because he was the smartest person in the room. It's because he thought outside the box. He right. thought about how, how am I what if this happened? Or what if I tried this? Or what if I put this together? And so I think that that's why I've dedicated, you know, my career to the arts is because that's where that creativity is fostered. That's where you find that person who's just thinking about things a little bit left to center. They're thinking about it a little bit different because I would much rather, um, not do the same thing over and over again and fail than to just try something new. Right. But, you know, I mean, I think that everybody who was up here, um, it's been about trying something new, stepping out and saying, I'm going to take a risk because I believe this. Right, exactly. And that belief and along the way, finding other people who can share the dream with you and who are going to be advocates and supporters and everything. I think that that still goes back to why I love music. All the notes come together. Right, but also as you talked about standing up and you know it's persevering too. It's also being with that person when they get all the no's because we're gonna get a lot of no's in our life. A lot yes. of people are gonna tell us no, you can't do it. It's having that great advice or that great friend or that great advisor that helps you make it through those no's because one day that's gonna be a yes. <laughs> That's true. And finding the, finding the people, the supporters, you know, and I'll give a shout out to my mom the other day. I was having a bad day. I was told no several times. And I had my heart set on some yeses. And, um, and it was no about some things I wanted to do, but it was like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And, my, and I was so upset. My mom called me and she goes, why are you upset? I said, oh, I can't do this, and this thing fell through, and I can't do this. And my mom went, you hadn't listened to me since you were two. When are you going to start? Why are you going to start listening to people now? And so I was just like, I just needed that reminder. Right. And we need people around we us people that around are going to go, 
Oh, no, 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 no. You didn't yeah. get here by, you know, pretending to listen to everybody and doing what they said. What got you here? Right. And so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. I wish I could have been as funny as they were. <laughs> oh, come on. You're full of life. Tons of fun. And just like that, the sun is out. Please give a round of applause to these extraordinary Memphians. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.